Good morning. Um, it's great to be back with you again this morning. As we begin our worship, let me read to you uh, Psalm 99. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He's exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He's holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron are among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of clouds. He kept their statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord, our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God though you punish their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. The psalm speaks of all these different people who praised God because he's holy and gave us a reminder to do the exact same thing. And this morning, as we look at our our passages together, we're going to think about a couple of the folks that are mentioned in the passage who praised God because God is holy. But the reality is that we come together this morning because we recognize that same thing. We know that God is holy. And other people up and down the country, even just outside the door, may be going about their Sunday morning doing whatever it is they want to do, having coffee, cup or whatever it is. But we come together because we know that God is holy. And we want in some way to mark that. And so why don't we stand together and sing the song, Gather Us In, in the purple book, number 38.
together. Father, thank you that you do today just what we've been singing of, that you gather us in. That you gather us in out of your love for us and out of a desire for us to be more like you. Father, help us to not just sing the words, but to live them out. To hear what it is you want to speak to us and for that to change us. Would our worship be acceptable to you today? Because you are holy and we recognise that and we declare that. For we ask it in your name. Amen. This morning, Sarah got this for Christmas, by the way. So if um, she suddenly decides that she wants to come down the front, that's okay. I wonder if you can tell just by looking at it what it's a picture of. Any ideas? A garden? That might be one idea. Anyone get anything else? A house might be part of it. I wonder if, to help us get a better idea of what the picture is, I could have some volunteers who could put it together for us. Do you want to come and help? Bonnie, do you want to come and help too? Nope. You can can come as well, Sarah, if you want, if Daddy wants to come down with you. Anyone else want to come and help? 
I'll give you a... Yeah, that's good. I'll give you a slight clue. This bit here, if my memory serves me right, is one of the middle bits. So if I give you that as a clue, see if you can build around it. And while you're doing that, you're welcome to come down as well if you want. They might need some extra help. Um, I'm just going to continue talking to you. The, um, what we're going to think about is the church. Big topic. But actually, the church could be described a little bit like a jigsaw. I mean, in the Bible, it's described like a body. But if you were to think about it like a jigsaw, everyone has a different role, don't they? But all together, they're all needed for us to be able to see what the picture is. You see, in the church that I'm in just now, we have some people um, who help with the music, and they are absolutely brilliant. And they're really important because they help us understand worship and be able to tell God how amazing we think he is and all that kind of stuff. And then we've got people that help us by speaking up the front. Oh, you were super quick. Speaking up the front who are really important because they help us know more about God. And then there's people who, after the service, help us um, by making tea and coffee. And they're like super important in our church because we like to eat together. And so they're often preparing meals. And part of their role is to help us get together as church and get to know one another and spend time together. And then there are all the other people with all their other jobs and things that they bring. And actually, we need them all. Great picture. You see, on our own, we're just little bits. But put them together, and if you, if you don't watch the Disney Channel, this is Doc McStuffins. And you get a complete picture of something. But the great thing is, we don't need to be like someone else in the church. You know, if Lionel and I came here every week, you might not want me in your choir, if you could hear me sing a bit clearer. Singing is just not my thing. Or at least I like to sing, but I'm not sure that anyone else would really like to listen to it. But that's okay. Singing might not be my thing, but it will be someone else's. And I've got things that I'm good at. And actually here in Hillhead, in the church here, there are things that everybody's good at. There are different gifts and talents everybody brings. And they're all needed. They're all needed to create a picture for the people in Glasgow around here of what God is like and what God can do. And part of the reason we gather together is we need to be reminded of that so that when we go out and about, people see part of the picture, don't they? Now, that's the picture of Hillhead. What about this one? Can you tell what that one would be, or is that just a bit harder? I'm not going to ask you to put it together, although some of you are itching to get started. But actually, we might be church here in Hillhead, but we're part of an even larger church where thousands upon thousands of people all over the world today and in other days and other places will be worshipping God. And together, God uses all of us as a picture to the world of who he is, what he's like, and what he can do. Because we're not perfect And yet God still chooses to use us and change us. And he wants to do that with everyone. So we might be just a small part, but we're part of something even larger. And I thought this morning it might be quite good for us to take time just before we go out to Sunday school and do all the things that we're going to do, just to thank God that we're part of a church. And so, um, and ask God to help us be part of his church and to help us 
know what our job is and to join with everyone else and do that. And also to remember to give thanks for everyone else. Because, well, like I said, I might not be good at singing, but I'm really thankful for the people that are. And I'm really thankful for the people that make tea and coffee, because I love coffee. We can be really thankful for one another. And to do that, we're going to listen to a song by a band called Rain Collective, and it talks about God building his kingdom. Because in order to be the church, we need God's power. And so while the song is playing, I'm going to gather up the bits of jigsaw. But I want you to listen really closely and see if you can tell me at the end how many times you hear the word church used in the song. And that will help us listen. Is that okay? You listening? Go for it. In our hearts again Increase in us we pray Unveil why we're made Come set our hearts ablaze with hope Like wildfire in our very souls Holy Spirit come invade us now We are your church your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. We refuse to waste our lives. For you're our joy and prize. To see the captive hearts released. The hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our
fingers and I was like oh she heard one that I never heard how many did you hear you heard six too I'm going to go and listen to it again because I was counting this morning lots of times because actually God wants to use his church to do everything that was talked about in that song and we are part of that so why don't we pray together and ask God to help us do that God we thank you that you've put us in this church here thank you for your people help us to play the parts that we have in it Help us to be, like Paul describes, your body, with each one of us having a part in it. Help us to be thankful for one another and to encourage one another. And we pray that the people in Glasgow would come to know you through your people here in Hillhead. We pray for the rest of your church around the world, the thing that we're part of, that bigger church. We know that in many places people aren't able to worship freely, and so we help them, ask you to help them to know that you're with them in their difficulties. Help us to learn from them, especially something about their boldness and their courage. So Lord, bless your church and help us to love and serve you wholeheartedly. Amen. Amen. Just before everyone leaves, we're going to sing together number 86 in the Common Ground book.
The readings this morning are both from the Gospel of Luke. The first reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. A week later, after Jesus' birth, when the time came for the baby to be circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name which the angel had given him before he had been conceived. The time came for Joseph and Mary to perform the ceremony of purification as the law of Moses commanded. So they took the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be dedicated to the Lord. They also went to offer a sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons, as required by the law of the Lord. At that time, there was a man named Simeon living in Jerusalem. He was a good, God-fearing man and was waiting for Israel to be saved. The Holy Spirit was with him and had assured him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's promised Messiah. Led by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple When the parents brought the child Jesus into the temple to do for him what the Lord required, Simeon took the child in his arms and gave thanks to God. Now, Lord, you have kept your promise, and you may let your servant go in peace. With my own eyes I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light to reveal your will to the Gentiles, And bring glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at the things Simeon said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is chosen by God for the destruction and the salvation of many in Israel. He will be a sign from God which many people will speak against and so reveal their secret thoughts. And sorrow, like a sharp sword, will break your own heart. There was a very old prophet, a widow named Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She had been married for only seven years and was now 84 years old. She never left the temple. Day and night she worshipped God, fasting and praying. That very same hour, She arrived and gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were waiting for God to set Jerusalem free. When Joseph and Mary had finished doing all that was required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. The child grew and became strong. He was full of wisdom and God's blessings were upon him. And in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. About a week after he had said these things, Jesus took Peter, John and James with him and went up a hill to pray. While he was praying, his face changed its appearance and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were there talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, 
who appeared in heavenly glory and talked with Jesus about the way in which he would soon fulfill God's purpose by dying in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were sound asleep, but they woke up and saw Jesus' glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, how good it is that we are here. We will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not really know what he was saying. When he was still speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them with its shadow, and the disciples were afraid as the cloud came over them. A voice said from the cloud, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice stopped, there was Jesus, all alone. The disciples kept quiet about all this and told no one at that time anything they had seen. This morning I have a little bit of a confession to make. Uh, Lionel and I had decided that we would continue following the lectionary uh, while we were visiting with you, as we know that you guys often do. And so I spent more than a week mulling over the first passage that we listened to this morning. And then earlier this week we were chatting together and I suddenly realised that while that was in fact a gospel reading for this week, it was a midweek reading, not for this Sunday. The Sunday's reading was the gospel reading that we heard the second one. And so I got this horrible, sinking feeling. Because when you put them together, on the first glance, they don't have anything in common. Apart from Jesus, they don't even have the same people going on in it. They uh, are set in different locations, in two totally different time periods in Jesus' life. And with two young kids, time to study and reflect and write and all of that stuff is such a rarity that it added to that sinking feeling. The thought of having to start all over again with a few days to go. Katrina reminded me that you would show me grace and that it would all be okay. But actually, isn't it great when scripture starts to speak to scripture and you read passages that you're really familiar with but in a new way, and start to make connections that you'd just never seen before. 
And so as I'm sitting with that sinking feeling going, Lord, please show me something. Suddenly, all these things started popping into my head. You see, while on the surface they're completely different stories with completely different characters and completely different time periods, underlying them all, they have a similar question. Underlying it all is this question of who Jesus is. What is it that he's come to do? And then how do we respond to that? What do we do with who Jesus is? And so in those questions, there are suddenly all these links in the passages. Let me read to you Anna and Simeon's story again. It says, On the eighth day, when it's time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him into Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice as well, in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him, the baby, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you've promised. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, And the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phil from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had done everything that was required in the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him Jesus' parents take him to the temple in order to observe three very important ceremonies that are required in, as it says, the law of the Lord the law of Moses they want to get him circumcised they want to present him to the Lord and to dedicate him to God and they want to kind of go through the purification ritual for Mary It tended to happen about 40 days after childbirth. And the reality is that Joseph probably needed a bit of that done too because it's likely that he would have had to help in the birth. And so while they're there doing all that stuff, Simeon, whom God had moved to be there, immediately recognises Jesus as the Messiah that they've been waiting on. And so taking on, he praises God 
for allowing him to see Jesus and then reveals to Mary and Joseph more of what Jesus will do. And what he says to them is both great stuff and I imagine for parents very hard stuff to hear. Also in the temple that day was Anna, this prophetess, who was older and widowed but spent her time worshipping in the temple. I think it's pretty amazing. She'd known all this sorrow and grief in her life and yet she'd never become bitter or twisted. Instead, she spent her time worshipping God and praising God and instead of becoming dull and distant and detached, was it seemed more alive to God than ever before. And while for some reason her words aren't recorded exactly, she too recognises Jesus and gives thanks to God and then starts to tell everyone round about them what's going on. If they were asked the question who Jesus was, they would have required emphatically that he was the Messiah that they were waiting on. They could see beyond this little baby in his mother's arms that Jesus wasn't just any old baby, but he was the baby, the saviour. They'd been worshipping God for years and so they were really familiar with the passages that spoke of the Messiah, of how he would come, of what he would do. And when they saw Jesus, they saw him as the fulfilment of all of that. To be the one who would bring salvation, in Simeon's word, not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles too. This baby was it. And they knew it. And they were going to tell anyone and everyone about it. Fast forward 33 years, and you have the second scene. Jesus' dedication and his circumcision and all of that stuff is well behind him. His public ministry has started and is beginning to come more and more to the fore, so he's been baptised. The voice from heaven uh, declaring that he's God's son who is loved and whom God is well pleased with. He's already revealed in his hometown that the spirit of the Lord is upon him to bring freedom, to bring sight, to bring um, good news, all of that stuff that we looked at last time. He's taken disciples, they've gone around, he's performed amazing miracles, everyone's speaking both really well of him, and others are just really annoyed by him. All of that stuff has been going on. And in fact, just before this happens, Jesus has just been telling his disciples about how he was going to have to leave them and and about his death and stuff and it seems clear that he understands something of God's salvation plan kind of getting ready to ramp up a bit more and then they go up this mountain Jesus and a few of his disciples and Moses and Elijah show up for a little chat like you do and so let me read that part again it says about eight days after Jesus said this when he talked to them about predicting his own death. He took Peter, John and James with him and went onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as the flash of light. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. As the men were leaving Jesus, 
Peter said to him, Master, it is great to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Jesus has been predicting his death. He's been sharing with the disciples that what they need is this radical change in perspective than what is expected in order to see what God is doing. And if you were to ask them the question who Jesus was, you'd think it'd be a pretty much a no-brainer. He's the Messiah. They've witnessed his teaching, they've witnessed his miracles. Moses and Elijah have just shown up. Two great men of faith talking to Jesus about his departure. They might have been sleepy, but they got some indication of what was going on here. It's not an everyday occurrence, and yet Messiah wasn't what sprung into their minds. Peter, who you just have to love because he's always quickest off the mark, responds that, isn't it great to be in that place? Could they build three booths, one for each of them? In doing so, he's alluding to the festival of booths, something that looked forward in anticipation to God coming and the salvation of God. But he didn't seem to recognize that Jesus was the one who would bring that. For it says that Peter spoke ignorantly. He doesn't understand yet who Jesus is. And so he doesn't respond accordingly. Two totally different scenes, two totally different pictures of who Jesus is. It's interesting, isn't it, that in both, actually the law and the prophets are there. In the first, there's Simeon, the priest, who represents the law and Anna, the prophetess. In the second, there's Moses and Elijah. Yet in the first... Jesus is recognised as fulfilling both those things. Whereas in the second, Peter tries to make them all equal. Not realising that Jesus hadn't come to replace them or to be put alongside them, but to fulfil them. Because actually no one is equal to Jesus. And I think somewhere in the tension of those two scenes, we're invited to answer for ourselves again who we think Jesus is and what response will that make in us. You see, Simeon and Anna were filled with hope and with expectancy. Even though they knew that they'd lived more of their lives than they had yet to live, they were confident that God not only saves, but that they would physically see it They were living lives of worship where they were, letting their perspective on God and that future be shaped by God's promises and the hope that that brought and the attitude that they seemed to exude reveals something of how faithful people respond to God and to the responsibilities he gives them as they lived with joy and with surrender and with contentment. This is what one of the commentators notes about them. He says this. 
Simeon exemplifies how one can define lives in terms of faithfully following God and serving him with joy and surrender. Anna pictures the consistency of faith and that even late in life, God can still use one in ministry. This passage offers a whole perspective on life and contentment. Here are two people near the end of their life still serving God full steam ahead. Contentment is not a matter of age or of energy level. Neither is it a function or an accumulation, but rather is defined by an openness to serve God and to share him with others. And that openness is what allowed them to see Jesus and to respond to the question of who he is by recognising him as the Messiah that they were waiting on. And so they end up playing this part in God's story as they shared the truth of what they saw. And on that mountain that day with Jesus and his disciples, similar things are present. In the same way that Simeon and Anna not only represented the law and the prophets, we have Moses and Elijah representing that same hope calling for that same expectancy and yet Peter and the other disciples if asked hadn't quite got it yet they were looking to the future but in that moment they saw Jesus as just another part of it without realising that actually he was the central linchpin in it their view of Jesus wasn't quite clear As we get ready to enter Lent, as we look towards Easter, it's important for us to take some time to reflect on who we think Jesus is. Is our vision clear or has it become blurry over time? Even if it's clear, are we open to letting God reveal himself in Jesus and give us an even fuller picture of who he is and what a saviour is? Are we open to letting that change how we live Are we living in the same kind of joy and surrender and contentment that Anna and Simeon had? Or are we like Peter and wanting to build tents and just stay where we are without entering into the future that's already here? It's not surprising that after Moses and Elijah have disappeared and it's just Jesus and the disciples left, after they hear the voice that says Jesus is God's chosen one that they were to listen to. In other words, they were to follow and to obey. They're left silent for a while. They need some time to think, to reflect, to process. And actually, so do we. This Sunday, as we know, is called Transfiguration Sunday. And it's regarded by some as being one of the most difficult passages to preach on and for us to listen to and look at as a gathered community. I'm not quite sure I agree with that, but I get some of the sentiment because it's not an easy thing to look at. But I think in the silent reflection of the disciples, we get a little bit of a key for us. This is what someone else, a Daryl Bock, writes. He says, To fathom the transfiguration requires something other than words, it requires a new heart. A new heart leads us to sit at Jesus' feet, ready to learn and to listen. And so I'm going to invite us to stop for a few moments and just silently reflect ourselves on that question, who is Jesus? 
perhaps allow God to paint a fuller picture for you of who Jesus is. Perhaps there's an aspect of Jesus you want to focus on. Perhaps allow yourself to just silently praise God like Simeon and Anna did, that you've seen the Messiah and you know his salvation. Perhaps ask God if there are areas that you need to let Jesus into more fully. Let your vision become clearer. Paul's going to play for us for a few moments as we reflect. And then I'll pray and we'll move straight into communion. Because it's here that we get to remember the body and blood of Jesus. The one who came as our salvation. And so as we reflect, we get to move and experience and participate in. And so let's spend some time doing just that. pray together God thank you for Jesus thank you for all that he is and all that he's done as we get ready to enter the Lent period this week would you open our eyes to see even more of who Jesus is and to be open to respond to that and to share it with others we ask that in your name Amen if I can ask those that are helping at communion this morning to come forward. Simeon said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. As we come to celebrate communion this morning, we're those who've benefited from that. This is what we come to remember and to give thanks for. And so as we get ready to do that, we're going to sing together, Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts. Let's stand together and sing.
this is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul continues, For whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so let's give thanks for the bread and for the wine. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't just come to earth, but that you came and you gave your whole self for us. We thank you for your body given for us on the cross that we would know your new life. We thank you for your blood poured out that takes away all our sin. Thank you that you make us new. Thank you that you offer us new life and friendship with God and all that that means and as we take it we are thankful for your God and you call us your own and that's a real privilege for us thank you Amen we'll eat the bread as we receive it but we'll keep the cup and we'll drink together as a sign of our unity together as God's church Let's drink together in thankfulness to God for his gift of Jesus. We're going to pray together and as we do so, we'll do so responsibly. And uh, when I say Jesus, now lead on. If you could respond with Jesus, lead us on. That would be great. Let's pray together. God, from where we are to where you need us, Jesus, now lead on. Jesus, lead us on. From the security of what we know to the adventure of what you will reveal, Jesus, now lead on. To refashion the fabric of the world until it resembles the shape of your kingdom, Jesus, now lead on. Jesus, lead us on. Because good things have been prepared for those who love God. Jesus, lead us on. Jesus, lead us on. Amen.
Let us pray. We have just remembered the events at the root of our Christian faith and shared with each other the elements that symbolize our choice to identify ourselves with Jesus' followers and to continue his mission to all nations as best we can. So we have a whole world to pray for, a world in which we can readily identify so many needs. We pray first for the people of Taiwan, bereaved or injured by the earthquake there. Some of the world's needs are graphically portrayed on our TV screens and are the subject of international conferences and worldwide appeals. Lord, how can the war in Syria and Iraq and violent conflict in many other countries be ended without changing the hearts of leaders, politicians, and statesmen? when they see millions of helpless refugees. We can only pray that your Holy Spirit may move in the minds of the decision makers and in us that we may be generous in our giving for those whose misery cries out to us. Lord, hear our prayer for the millions of Christians caught up in struggles not of their own making and who wonder how best to follow Jesus in their desperate situations. As we approach important elections and politicians manoeuvre for advantage, we pray for those whose lives could be improved if health services were better funded and schools had better resources to help even the youngest to understand importance of diet and exercise and to help reluctant teenagers to apply themselves to studies likely to enhance their opportunities in life, even if that all means higher taxes for us. Lord, we pray for teachers ready to pass on the truths of the gospel to all who humbly recognize their need for help and guidance. Far from the headlines, we know of many groups and individuals who would rejoice to know that we are praying for them here and now. We remember all who work in many lands to relieve poverty and human need in the name and spirit of Jesus. We pray for those of our own church members and friends who are in personal need, and we name some in the silence of our hearts. We pray for Katrina and for all involved in planning the future of this congregation 
that what they plan may help to fulfill your purposes in this city. Finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves, wanting to know the Jesus who walks with us today as we try to live out the gospel in our own lives, reminding ourselves of our communion today with all who seek to honour the name of Jesus, by whose grace we live. Amen. been thinking about what it means for us to be your church here, that you've called us with our unique gifts and talents to come and, and be part of that and that you can use us. And God, we bring to you gifts out of what we recognise is only what you've already given us in the first place. And we ask that you would help folks here to use it wisely and in a way that honours you. That even the money would be able to be used in a way that helps people to see the picture of who you are and what you can do. For we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing our final song together, Lamb and Shepherd.
say the grace together to one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.